Every day, the news comes in about the war in Gaza. The figures are grim and alarmingly consistent. Between a hundred and two hundred innocent people in Gaza die every day. I'm continuing with the second part of my story today, which I have dedicated to the children of Gaza. And the Hands Up Project team, led by my brother Nick Bilber, and you can find out more about their work by searching Hands Up Project in Google, and I will link to their website from the audio script at my website, practicingenglish.com, podcast 180, and the show notes. In your podcast application. In the second part of the story of the octopus's garden, I'll discuss the meaning of seven B two verbs which occur in the story. This is a B one level podcast reaching towards B two level with lots of new B two vocabulary in there. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Practicing English. My name is Mike Bilber, and these are podcasts for students of English at B1 or B2 levels. And if you are a B1 level student trying to reach B2 level, then I recommend my book, The Tudor Conspiracy. Okay, the first B2 word which I'm going to. Tell you about a verb is to vanish, v a n i s h. To vanish means to disappear, to no longer be seen. Listen for this verb in the story in this sentence. When the rug had once more dropped gently down, with Dunya still sitting on it, the whiteness. Vanished. In the past tense, then vanished. My next word is to smash, s m a s h, which means to break. Usually, something made of glass, something fragile, something delicate. And the sentence to look out for, or to listen out for, is it smashed. Silently into pieces on the floor, it smashed silently into pieces on the floor. Notice we say then something breaks or smashes into pieces, lots of little parts. The next verb is to rush, r u s h, which really means to go very very quickly. A dreadful feeling of guilt rushed into her head. There are several B two words there. In fact, dreadful, which means terrible, meaning horrible, awful, and guilt, G U I L T, 
a feeling of guilt is when we do something and we wish we hadn't done it and we feel that others will be upset because we've done it and we feel bad about that. That is called guilt. So the sentence again is, a dreadful feeling of guilt rushed into her head. So it came very quickly into her head. The next verb is bend, B-E-N-D. And this is a person's body that bends over or to bend down. So that's when you move your body, if you're in a standing position, for example, and you move your body so your head is closer to the ground. In the story, you'll hear the sentence, Dunya bent down and picked up two of the larger pieces of broken glass. She bent down, past tense, B-E-N-T, an irregular verb. The next verb is to assume, A-S-S-U-M-E. This is a B2 verb, which means to suppose, to believe something is true. The sentence is, they assumed Dunya could not hear their conversation, but now she could hear perfectly clearly. Perfectly clearly. Perfectly is a B2 word as well, emphasizing that she could hear very clearly. It's an emphatic word in this context. The next verb is to assure, A-S-S-U-R-E. And if you assure somebody, you tell them not to worry, this is the truth. What I'm saying is true. And in the story, a boy shows Dunya a mouse. Now, in a lot of Mediterranean countries, people are very worried about the difference between mice and rats. Rats are not seen as uh, animals that we want to pick up. But a mouse is completely different. A mouse can be a pet, something you keep at home. And in the story you'll hear, He's not a rat, Ali assured her. He's a real mouse. He's not a rat, Ali assured her. He's a real mouse. And my last verb for today is to collapse. C-O-L-L-A-P-S-E. And to collapse means to fall down. It can be a person. A person can collapse. A house can collapse as well. Anything which falls down, usually quite quickly, down to the ground, collapses. And the sentence in the story is, she just collapsed from tiredness and hunger. Tiredness, which is the noun of the adjective tired, when you're feeling exhausted, when you have no energy left. And hunger, which is the noun of hungry, when you want to eat something. She just collapsed from tiredness and hunger.
that's the end then of my B2 vocabulary, which I'm going to talk about. There are a lot more B2 words there. If you consult the audio script, which you can find if you click on the link from the show notes in the app, um, Spotify or in Apple Podcasts, for example, come over to my website and you have the audio script there. You can see more B2 verbs, which I have marked with the little sign B2 on each of them. So you can look them up and find their meaning. So here we go. The Octopus's Garden by M. A. Bilber. This story is copyright M. A. Bilber, Part Two: The Mouse and the Octopus. There was a scream above. Dunya lifted her gaze to the sky, above the courtyard. A bright flash. Everything went white. Then. An enormous bang split the world. The rug beneath her was shaking violently, so it rose into the air and flew slowly around the courtyard, which had now become silent. When the rug had once more dropped gently down, with Dunya sitting on it, the whiteness vanished. Dunya first thought it was snowing. She stood up, and opened her left hand. But the snow that fell onto her palm was hot. She quickly pulled her hand back. If it hadn't been for the familiar rubber plants in front of her, Dunya would not have recognized where she was. The house had gone. Piles of bricks and stones lay around her. She thought it bizarre that, instead of a wall, she could see her father's furniture shop across the road. Then she saw her mother's arm and head, bricks covering the rest of her body. Dunya had seen death before. When her grandfather had died last January, now she saw it again, in the person she loved most. She forced herself to turn her head. As she did so, she saw other members of her family among the bricks. Her little brother, who had been playing in his room, Dunya could make out. A toy car, in his tiny hand. Her aunt, who had been cooking in the kitchen, still wearing her new apron. Dunya's body 
began to shake, and as it did so, she dropped the glass of honey lemonade she was still holding in her right hand. It smashed silently into pieces on the floor. A dreadful feeling of guilt rushed into her head as she realized it was one of her mother's favorite glasses. Dunya bent down and picked up two of the larger pieces of broken glass and tried to put them together. What would her mother say? Then there was blood on her hands. She had cut herself. Strong arms lifted her to her feet. A man was looking into her eyes and shouting at her. She recognized him as one of her neighbors. She saw that he was shouting, but she could hear nothing. There were other men running around. One had tears in his eyes. Then another man pointed at Dunya's bleeding hands, so the neighbor picked her up in his arms and ran with her. Dunya cried and screamed in the hospital for seven days and seven nights. She had not really been aware of the time that passed, but had heard that comment one day from the doctors talking to each other. So she stopped crying and screaming. The doctors also said the drone had landed in the reception room of her house and exploded, killing every member of her immediate family and her uncle's family. They assumed Dunya could not hear their conversation, but now she could hear perfectly clearly. The feeling from her insides of being pulled and torn by iron hands had stopped her from eating, but now her terrible hunger allowed her to eat something for the first time in a week. A doctor unwrapped some of the bandages from her hands so she could hold a spoon. The next day, Dunya had a visitor. He introduced himself as Mohammed Ahmed Mansour and was her mother's cousin. He was a young man with kind eyes. He said he felt very sad at the death of her family. He explained that it had been several years since they had visited Dunya's house so that Dunya would probably not recognize him. Muhammad said that she could come and live with him, his wife and son, in a flat in the south of Gaza. He told her it was safer in the south and she no longer needed to be in hospital. There was a school near his son's school where she could attend classes. Dunya looked at him, but neither smiled nor cried, nor said a word. But she took his hand as they left the hospital together.
Dunya's gaze was now right where the sea met the sky. There was no remote land on the horizon. She wondered how people could live in a place from where no friendly countries could be seen. It was like being shut in a room where the only window was too high up to see out of. Dunya looked back at the waves, the only remedy that helped calm her pain. The buildings were tall and ugly in the area where Muhammad lived, and the modest flat was not beautiful like her house had been in Gaza City. But the welcome Muhammad's wife Fatima gave her, with her hugs and kisses, was the first sign of real human warmth Dunya had received in days. And she collapsed in her arms. Yet no tears came to Dunya's eyes. Ali Muhammad was Muhammad Ahmad Mansour's son. Dunya usually found boys of her age foolish, irritating and insensitive. But Ali was different. He was ten years old, like Dunya. When his mother introduced him, he stood up and shook Dunya's hand, looked at her in the eye, and nodded his head sympathetically. Fatima told Ali to show Dunya his pet mouse. He kept it in his room, in a rectangular cardboard shoebox. Ali picked the shoebox up carefully and took off the lid. A small brown mouse sat in the corner, cleaning his face with his tiny paws. He's not a rat, Ali assured her. He's a real mouse. He won't grow any bigger than this. That piece of cheese is his food just there, and that's a pencil I gave him to play with so he won't get bored. Daniel was deeply moved. A world within a world. This tiny creature that seemed somehow so involved in his face-washing, apparently completely unaware of the larger, more dangerous world around him. He's lovely, said Dunya. But there's no light in the box when the lid's on. Ali looked at her in surprise, and Dunya realised those had been the first words she had spoken since the day the drone had fallen on her house. Ali looked back at his mouse. Yes, there is, he said enthusiastically. Look here, I've cut a little window at the top, but it can't be too big or he could get out. He might like a bigger home, suggested Dunya. Yes, he might. I'll try and find a bigger box, Ali answered, and he smiled. That night, the bombs fell again. Muhammad told his wife and the two children to get up and get dressed. The block of flats in front has been hit, and so has the block at the end of the street. I don't understand why, 
There is no Hamas here. What is going on? Mohammed walked up and down the living room, his hands in his hair. It reminded Dunya of her father, just before the drone struck, and the iron hands in her stomach gripped her insides painfully. Let's pack what we can and leave, Mohammed said. We can go to my parents' home. It's only twenty kilometers away. It's just a village. Perhaps we'll be safer there. First, I'm going to see if they need help across the road. Nasir and his family live on the third floor. I must check to see if they're okay. Then I'll meet you in the car. And he ran out. Dunya tried to assist Fatima with packing the cases. But she really didn't know how she could help. Dunya had no possessions herself, of course, except the throbe she was wearing. When Fatima, Ali and Dunya left the flat, Dunya had just the mouse in his box under her arm. The street was strangely lit, with orange flames and people running and shouting in all directions. Then Dunya felt the hot snow on her face. She tripped over bricks, broken stone and glass, so the images she had previously pushed away from her mind came once more, and Dunya panicked. Dunya just ran. She ran as fast as her legs could take her. She ran and ran. Eventually, she left the streets of the town and found herself in a dark lane. The street lamps disappeared, and although she could not see her feet, she followed the bright stars, clearly visible in a black sky. Dunya looked down from the waves and picked up the box. She opened it and looked inside. The mouse looked up at her and asked to be let out. I think you're a long way from home, said Dunya, but better the world you don't know than the one you do. She lifted the box up gently onto its side and the mouse walked out and onto the sand. Before he ran off, he turned around and waved goodbye. Dunya stood up and walked down to the sea. Suddenly, the waves lost their energy, became lazy and dropped into the deep. The water became as clear as drinking water from a glass jug, and the surface so still it was like a mirror. She walked in. The sea was pleasantly warm as it soaked through the thin material of her thobe. The water came up to her waist, and it was then that she saw the octopus. He was sitting on the sea bed, looking up at her with his seven legs stretched out around him. The octopus seemed to be waiting for her, inviting her into his garden. 
I don't believe Dunya intended to slip down beneath the surface. I believe she just collapsed from tiredness and hunger. Although by the time Muhammad, Fatima and Ali arrived after their desperate search along the beach, they just found an empty shoebox left on the sand and footprints down to the water's edge. Dunya was nowhere to be seen. And that is the end of the story. Until next time, goodbye for now.